Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 19. All the kids are leaving? I want to go with them. (laughs) Psalm 19, Psalm 19. My dad used to say, good music will make up for poor preaching. And I want to tell you what, your church is blessed with great music. And so... No wonder um, you get to hear some of the best right here at your Canaan Baptist Church because when people sing unto the Lord, and it's not just vocally good, it's from the heart. And when God is honored like that, man, I'll tell you, it just draws you into the presence of the Lord. And that sets us up to hear what God has to say from His Word. Amen. Psalm 19, I I don't want to boast, but last year, I got to spend a month here with you, dear folks, and I'll tell you, I enjoyed my time here with you, and you were probably glad for us to leave, and we were sad to leave, but I'll tell you, what a blessing, and I realized when I was here last time, I needed to lose some weight, so right before we came, I I went on a 14-day cleanse, and I just want to tell you, I finished in three hours and 27 minutes, (laughs) so I did something good for you, and I hope that God will bless the, the word today that uh, he's laid on my heart. Psalm 19, if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of his word? I'm going to read the entire psalm, and then we're going to focus on a particular verse and statement in this psalm. And may I remind you, we're reading the words, the lyrics of God's hymnal. This is a songbook. And we read in verse number 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great temptation transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I want to back up a little bit to verse number 12. It seems odd that this is tossed in in such a majestic meditative passage of Scripture. 
in the midst of all this, it's as if the songwriter is saying, God is so great. Everything about him is perfect. Everything about him is good. And I love this. Then he recognizes there's something that can mess it up. He says in verse number 12, who can understand his heirs? May I remind you, you'll never figure yourself out. I know better. What'd you do that for? I don't know. You've talked to your son. You've instructed him over and over and over. And then he does the very thing you told him not to do. And he said he wouldn't do it. And you say, son, why'd you do it? And his response, I don't know. Why? The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'm going to tell you something. You can't. So quit trying to understand yourself and to find yourself. We're better off finding God. Who can can understand his heirs? I can't. So cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach a little bit this morning from your word. Not to to this audience, but to the preacher behind the pulpit. And I pray that today your spirit would speak to each of us that name the name of Christ. That are identified as your sons and your daughters. And I pray that today we wouldn't mess up your glory. That we wouldn't allow something in between us that would break up the enjoyment and pleasure of knowing you. And I pray that you'd be pleased with the response of your people. Should there be a soul here this morning that's just one heartbeat from hell, we pray that even now you would capture their attention and open their eyes to where they could see and clearly understand the gospel and be saved today and certainly before it's eternally too late. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We've heard so much in recent years of COVID-19 and we'll probably never hear the end of it. But I want to remind you that more damaging, more deceitful, more divisive, more destructive, more deadly than any virus is a spiritual virus called sin. And God has a cure for all sin. How many in the room would be honest today, though you might be hesitant because you don't want to arouse the curiosity of those that you're trying to impress, maybe like your mate, your children, or the other church members, but how many in here would say and say publicly by the raised hand, I have sinned? Would you raise your hand? Well, that's almost all of you, and those of you that haven't raised your hands, you're a liar, so now you can raise your hand. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And if you would update that a little bit, he's saying there is none righteous, no, not even you. Because we're all experts at examining other people. It's easy for us to point out the faults and the failures, yea, even sins, of other people. But for ourselves, we give ourselves a pass. Well, it's not that bad. Well, I know it's a sin, but everybody does that. I'm talking about bigger sins that I don't do when we talk about others. We've all sinned. And the sad thing is, if we don't take care of sin 
in our life, especially in its infancy, it's going to grow to be a giant. We looked at a very familiar passage in 1 Samuel 17, and we spoke of Goliath, but never forget, there was a day that Goliath was a baby. There was a day that Goliath was just a child. And you mark it down, every big sin that you're dealing with today and trying to conquer today, at one time was just a little sin. But if we don't take care of it in its infancy, it's going to grow and grow and grow to be a major opponent in each of our lives. There are three unforgivable sins in the Bible. The one is most damnable. There is one that's most damaging. There is one that's most dangerous. One is unforgivable by God. One sin is unforgivable by man. One sin is unforgivable by God and man. And today, I want to consider the most dangerous sin in the Bible as mentioned here in verse number 12 of Psalm 19. What sin would that be? Our secret sin. Psalm 19, 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. And there's a difference between faults and sins. Psalm 90, verse 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. Proverbs 28, 13 says that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. When we cover something, it's with the hopes that nobody else can see it. Thus, it becomes secret sins. God sees our secret sins, and the psalmist is so much in tune with the greatness of God and the greatness of his power, the greatness of his word, the greatness of his joy. He doesn't want anything to mess it up. And so he says, Lord, cleanse me from my secret faults. Faults are the cause of our sins. You know, those of you that are sports fans, Georgia Bulldog fans, likely in this room, I'm an Ohio State Buckeye. I can't help that God blessed me that I would be born in Ohio. I'm a Buckeye fan, and let's be honest, the Buckeyes played Georgia far better than Michigan last year in the playoffs. I know that has nothing to do with eternity or the Word of God, but it sure felt good to bring that up too. Hallelujah. If you watch any sporting event, sometimes there is a fight that will take place. And usually, before instant replay... Usually, the guy that starts the fight doesn't get the flag. It's the other guy that gets ejected or penalized until there was instant replay. Long before instant replay entered into the world of sports, God, his eyes run throughout the whole world beholding both the evil and the good. And the psalmist says, I don't like secret sins, but to my knowledge, I don't have any at this moment. But I want you to cleanse me from secret faults. The thing that will cause me, maybe, maybe it's not an outright disobedience to your word right now, but I am coddling something in my life that before long will cause me to sin. Secret sin is so dangerous. And it shouldn't surprise you when you see a deacon or even a preacher or a Sunday school teacher when they fall into sin. May I remind you that the number one target in this church is your pastor and his wife. And you don't even know what you're talking about when you criticize him. He's under, you know why? Because if the devil can take out your pastor or the pastor's wife, it's going to hurt the whole church. And don't you realize that the father in the home is the number one target in the home? You better be careful mocking, 
the head of the home. You better be careful degrading the head of the home to the rest of the family. There should be a respect for both your father and your mother. But our world today, anytime there's a family sitcom on television, it always makes the dad look like an effeminate loser that can't stand up for what's right. And if he stands up for what's right, they make him look like a buffoon from, I don't know what's on TV today, but I think of all in the family, Archie Bunker back in the day. And you know whereof I speak. Some of the things we would agree with, but they make him look like a moron, and he was. I'm saying today, you better be careful tearing up the leadership that God has put in place. Because they're under attack every day, and you don't need to add to the attack. Are we together? Say amen. amen. But all of us are under attack, not just our spiritual leaders. So why is secret fault, secret sin so dangerous? Let me give you a couple thoughts. How many in here would recognize that you are a sinner? Would you raise your hand? Look at the person next to you. This is going to feel good and say, you're a sinner. Some of you have been wanting to say that for a long time, but scared to death. But now you can say it because the preacher told you to. We all deal with it. Yes, we do. All of us. And when we have secret faults, it's a sin that God cannot forgive because 1 John 1, 9, we always say, yeah, but the Bible says if we could, you forgot the first word. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says, he that confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. You don't confess, you're living in unconfessed sin. God can't forgive you. Man can't forgive you. Because you haven't made it right with either. Why is it such a dangerous sin? Well, number one, it deprives you of spiritual help. James 5.16 says, confess your faults, not sins. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Be sure that the person that you confess your faults to is a righteous man. Not another carnal Christian, and especially not an unsaved man. People today revere um, modern education and worldly education to the point that I've heard in recent days, we want a counselor, but we don't want a preacher. We want a trained counselor. We want someone that knows how to counsel people. Listen, if a pastor is running a church and pastoring a church and doing a good job, he knows how to counsel people. It's not a head job that we need. It's a heart fix that we need. Because I've known guys that have been in AAA, AAA, and this, that, and this addiction program, that addiction program. They're all helpful. And quite frankly, if that's what it takes, I'm all for you getting help. But bottom line, you have a spiritual problem. And until you get it right with God, you're never going to overcome addiction. When we have unconfessed sin and Make cover it up ourselves, it deprives us of spiritual help. We need people that can speak into our lives the Word of God. I know what the Bible says, but sometimes I need someone to talk it into my life. How did it help you? How is it helping you? And we learn how to live out God's word 
from other counselors that know the word of God. And I want to remind you, it says, be sure you confess your faults, not your sins. Why? Because it's a shame to speak of those things which are done in secret, the book of Ephesians says. A godly man is not one going to hear every sort of detail of your moral failures. You know why? Because he wants to guard his own heart. You get into details, you may bring down a good godly man or a good godly woman. We aren't to speak of those things which are done in secret. You tell me you're having a moral problem, I can help you. Those are the faults that we confess. And I want to remind you today, you don't get help, you're going to find yourself going down, down, and down in a good church while doing your dead level best to serve God. When we have secret sin, it deprives us of spiritual help. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I remember when I was younger and I'd go to the church on Sunday afternoons, and especially if I was preaching that Sunday night, more often than not, I I led the music as well. and, And so I'd stay several hours Sunday afternoon, either practice singing or practice my sermon that I was going to preach that night. And we had a man in the church that was retired. He was, he was a private investigator for the Continental Bank. And man, did he have the stories of how he would track down people that were stealing money from the bank. And this was before the, the age of cell phones and computers that we know today. And track it down. How, how'd you track these guys down? He said, every person has an enemy out there. And if I can find their enemy, I can find out everything I want to know about that man. Wow. But he would come to church Sunday afternoons and he'd clean up the buildings. He, he said, you know, the buildings look so nice and clean for Sunday morning service. And, and Sunday night, uh, to me, that's the best crowd of the, of the whole week. That's the church people. They don't have to come back. They want to come back Sunday nights. And we just, um, we don't have a janitorial crew, so I'd like to come and clean up the church on Sunday afternoons. He'd come and clean out the washrooms and vacuum and come in the auditorium, straighten the hymnals. and, And while he was doing that, I'd be preaching and I'd stop when he'd come in the room and he'd say, oh, preacher, I'd, I just wish you'd keep preaching. Or if I was singing, I'd stop because I'd feel kind of silly singing, you know, and because I'm singing to 5,000 people in the auditorium that are not there. And then in comes Dave Howard, and he's, he's in the back of the room. Now I'm singing to one person. That made me feel awkward. And finally he said, no, I want to hear you sing. Just go ahead and sing. And, you know, after a while, it didn't bother me with him in the room. We'd sit and talk. Sometimes for 30 minutes, sometimes a couple of hours. That man taught me a lot. I'd ask him questions about how he dealt with this, how he dealt with that. He wasn't a preacher. He's just a godly old man. He didn't get saved as a young man. He got saved later in life. And yet, he gave me some good counsel, practical advice. And I didn't say, Brother Howard, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I would just ask him a question. And now that I'm an older man, I think he knew that I was struggling. I don't know that for sure, but I counsel a lot of young people today that ask me about a third party somewhere. I'm not in in life to try to make people feel stupid. If he asks me a question... I want to help him. And the best way I can help him is to explain and share how God helped me work through certain issues of life. 
No, I'm not going to go into detail. No, I'm not going to pour out my sin before him. That's not what God wants us to do. But he wants us to help one another how to conquer those faults. How those temptations that get a foothold in our life. Coach them, encourage them from God's word. How they can have victory. But when we have secret sin, we deprive ourselves of spiritual help. Please, I hope you're getting this. You have revival in a couple of weeks. Some of you have already started praying and you'll have good meetings. You'll have tremendous preaching. But when the week concludes, you will be the very same as you are today. Unless you come clean with God. The psalmist didn't want even the hint of sin. Secret faults and even presumptuous sins. I don't want that even near me. I want to be all in with God. Secret sin's dangerous because it controls and corrupts your mind, secondly. Proverbs 15, 26 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 24, 9 says, The thought of foolishness is sin. Matthew 9, 4, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Speaking of the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If we don't get rid of secret sin, it will control and corrupt your mind. You know whereof I speak. It changes the way you think. What you once thought was abhorring. I don't want any part of that. I would have never get involved. Now you understand. Now you even say, it's not as bad as I thought. That's just when I was back here, but today I'm a more well-rounded person. Be careful, because for long, it will control you, and it will corrupt you. Secret sin will breed like flies in your mind. It will be the only thing in your mind. It will occupy your thoughts, your dreams, your meditations, your fantasies. You'll not be able to concentrate well in other areas of life. And that will be the driving force of your existence. Secret sin is dangerous because it will not only control your mind, but it'll control your life. Genesis 6, 11, continuing on, describing the days of Noah, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Is that almost a description of America today? When we have pride month, We honor the founder of our country with one day. But we honor a reprobate sin. I didn't call it that. God calls it that. And they're proud of it. And we have members in our churches today that get upset with me by pointing that out. How can you be so unloving towards those people? And I'd like to say to you, how can you be so unloving to those people? Why would you enable somebody to continue in a lifestyle that's going to damn them to all eternity in hell? It's, it's a free country. Do what you want to do. This isn't the first time we've had immorality in our country. We know our forefathers weren't 
patron saints. But we uplift righteousness because that's what we want to attain to. And yes, there was sin here, and yes, they were sin, but we're not going to give the devil the spotlight. Because that's what will destroy our nation. That's what will destroy your soul. You say, that's unloving. I want to challenge your thinking. You're unloving. Because quite frankly, I can tolerate your opinion. You can't tolerate mine. Before you can tolerate somebody's opinion, you have to disagree with them. But you can't tolerate me disagreeing with you. I can tolerate you and even respect your opinion without agreeing with it. And one of us are right. I hope I'm wrong. But if I'm right, you'll spend eternity in the regions of the damned. Not because I said so, because God said so. Are you with me? I'm trying to help good people in the church of the living God to recognize the fact that you can cover sin for a while, but it's not going to stay small covered. It will control your mind. It will corrupt your mind. And then it will eventually corrupt your life. We saw in John 10, 10 in Sunday school this morning, the devil is out to destroy you. It's not because you're such a wonderful man or a wonderful woman. It's not because you're a great church and have great singing and a great pastor and wonderful guest speakers. He hates you because he hates God. He's out to steal. He's out to kill. He's out to destroy you. Let every man that is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. He's saying, wake up. There's a progression here. You're being forewarned. You have desires, and many of those desires God gave you. But the devil wants to satisfy those desires differently than how God wants you to satisfy them. Do I need to be any clearer? I knew a man, and you have too. In our church, nobody knew that he was looking at porn. Started out with a few hits. Then it was weekly. Then it was daily. I knew a woman in church People actually looked up to her. Nobody knew she was flirting with another married man. Of course, she would say she was just being friendly. But the end proved the preacher right. I've known people in our church that smoked. Hey, if you want to smoke, go smoke. Don't be too faced about it. Don't smoke in church, please. Don't smoke on church property, please. Smoking's not going to send you to hell. You'll just smell like you've been there and come back. We had a lady in our church that smoked, and my dad, who was the pastor of our church, she didn't want him to know. And my dad made a surprise visit on her home. She almost swallowed her cigarette. But she quickly put it out in the ashtray and put the ashtray behind the couch. You older people, you remember what I'm talking about. It was on, I mean, we used to see smoking. I didn't smoke, but smoking on airplanes? What kind of thinking was that? So there are some things that have gotten better in time in America, but she, she didn't know what to do, so she put the ashtray behind the couch when my dad came in, he said he started talking to her, and he said all of a sudden it just looked like a teepee, an Indian teepee with smoke signals coming up from behind her. <laughs> he said, Do you smoke? Oh, no, I don't smoke. 
that same lady when she was dying of emphysema have a fan within a foot of her face. She asked my dad, she said, would you bring the teen department here? I want every teenager to see how a smoker dies. Smoking's not the biggest sin. But I'm going to tell you, you allow one little sin in, you'll find yourself with two. Then three. And let's be honest. Some sin has greater consequences than just dying an ugly death. We have people in our church that slander. They lie. They neglect God's commands. You will find yourself corrupted if you cover secret sin. Then can I also give you a ray of hope? We can be cleansed and sin can be conquered. The reason why this sin is so dangerous is because people think they have plenty of time to address it. Don't presume on God's mercy. Because God is long-suffering, you think that God is okay with your sin. He's not. He loves you way too much. It's not God that wants to destroy you, but your sin will destroy you. And God, He might be long-suffering with you hoping that you will judge yourself, as Romans says, so that he doesn't have to judge? Wake up. Man gets his hand caught in the cookie jar, you mark it down. Almost 99 out of 100, that wasn't his first time he had his hand in the cookie jar. God is so gracious so long-suffering to all of us that we would come and repent of that sin. You know the scriptures as well as I. God cleaned up and then used men like David, Jacob, Samson, and Lot. But let me also remind you, those men had to deal with consequences of their sin the rest of their lives. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love how this chapter ended, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let me give you a few thoughts if you're taking notes. How can we be cleansed and how can we conquer it? Number one, it takes a repentant attitude. Repentance just simply means a change of mind. And keep in mind, I'm not talking about how we change our mind. What do you want for supper? Uh, Pizza sounds good. No, 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 tacos. Ice cream is good. I'm not talking about that kind of a change of mind. I've lived with women my whole life. And I know that they can change their minds within seconds. That's not what we're talking about here. When he says a change of mind, it's a change of belief system. Something you know in your mind, but you also follow through with your will and you base your life on that. You govern your life by that. And so we're talking about a change of belief system when we're talking about repentance. We need a repentant attitude. We need to agree with God about the corruption of sin. It's dirty. I don't want it to be any part of it. It brings death. We need to agree with God on the consequences of sin. Some of us, we get chastised or we reap what we sowed, and we almost get mad at God. God, I got it right. You're just reaping what you sowed. I'll give you grace to go through this season. Quit whining. But you're going to reap it. 
But you want a different crop next year? Start sowing different seed. Are we together? We must agree with God on the corruption of sin, the consequences of sin, and the conquering of sin. I can have victory. I will have victory. We are more than conquerors. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, we can have victory. Secondly, we must have a radical amputation. Romans 6, verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Aren't you tired of serving sin? We've got to cut loose from that. We've got to confess our sin against God and confess those that we have sinned against as well. And then we need to be challenged by a brother. Two are better than one. Get a brother in Christ that loves you, that won't talk down at you or condemn you or criticize you for your failures. Yes, there'll be some Pharisees. Yes, there'll be people that don't understand, that may be standoffish and criticize you. But there's going to be some other brothers in the church that have been forgiven themselves. And they're going to be glad to help you through this time because they've experienced victory in their life. And they're going to encourage you to stay on the path because it's worth it. Been down both sides of the street and I know where this one ends up. Not going there again. And I can help you stay on this side of the street. Not only do we need a radical amputation, we need a responsible action plan. Do good, develop spiritual alertness. We need to distance ourselves from sin. Fourthly, just stay away from sin. Double your effort. Get a buddy that will help you. Two are better than one because they have a good reward. If one falls, the other can lift them up. I'm telling you today, take action. Don't just come to the altar and say, Lord, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Dear God, I don't want to slip again. Dear God, I've been there and the devil keeps bringing it up. I don't want any part of that anymore. I'm telling you, take action. Do something. And you can have the victory. The most dangerous sin in all the word of God, I believe, is secret sin. And if you were my best friend or my best church member, I would tell you, don't mess up your relationship with God. Most of us are worried about messing up our relationship with our wife, if you love her. Many of us are concerned about messing up our relationship with our kids. Some of us are concerned about messing up a relationship in church. But you've already thought, well, if my church doesn't like me, I'll go find another church. And some of you have thought of that about your mate as well. But could I remind you? David, he hurt his wife. He hurt the girl that he sinned against. He hurt the girl's husband that he had killed. He hurt his own nation. But when David prayed, you read in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Because if your life is right with God, the other relationships will benefit from it. But if your relationship is not right with God, all of them are going to be affected, and more often than not, negatively. And you'll try to balance it out by giving them a little extra money, a little more of this, a little more of that, when all you needed to do was confess your secret sins. Don't tell me the details. And I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't tell the details to anybody, quite frankly, because there isn't a human being in the world that can handle the details of sin. And for those of you that watch those kind of TV shows, you're so numb today, your conscience has been seared today, that even a message like this, which should convict every single one of us, doesn't have the impact that it could or should. You're watching graphic violence. Kids today have seen more nudity than me and my wife and most adults in this room combined have seen in a lifetime. And they don't realize it, but they're sabotaging their marriage before they even walk down the aisle. They may not be jumping in bed with everybody, but they're sabotaging future relationships by exposing themselves to sin. But you adults aren't helping. And I'm saying to all of us, you want to enjoy God not in a pep rally in church service, but at home when you're on the front lines with people that are giving you a hard time and on the job when it seemingly is impossible to be a Christian out in the world when you don't have the words to help people that need Jesus. I'm saying you get your life in tune with God. You'll be amazed yourself. You'll be like, wow. I didn't know it could be this good. And if you haven't said that or are not saying it, more than likely, you and I are covering secret sin. Now, your sin might be different than the one I'm covering. The faults that you're covering might be different than the ones that I'm covering. It may not be the same, but regardless, the outcome will be the same. We're going to mess up what God has for all of us. That's why we say, wilt thou not revive us? Why? I want to be made alive again. I know what it's like to be on fire. I know. I want that. And so I appeal to everyone in here today. Let's confess secret faults. Lord, I'm struggling with what my eyes are watching. Lord, I'm struggling with what I allow my ears to listen to. Lord, God can handle the details. Humans can't. And quite frankly, if you confess your faults to the Lord, he'll likely itemize the sins that are associated with that, those faults that you've already committed. That's not to make you feel worse. It's to make you recognize the damage that it does and to encourage you break free from that. Do you want God's best? Don't try to figure it out because you can't figure it out. Your heart, my heart, is desperately wicked. It can come up with things that are amazing. Where did that come from? I don't like, I don't believe in that. I don't want that. But my heart's desperately wicked. That's why I saturate myself in the Word. That's why I hang out with people that love God. That's why I covet the prayers of family and friends. Because I'm in a spiritual battle, as are you. And I want God to be lifted up in my life. You want to, get, you want to have a pre-revival service? You want to get ready for revival in a couple of weeks? You could right here, right now. You don't have to wait. Spirit of God's already been talking to you.
secret faults. God, I'm no stranger to revival. God, I know what it is to really fall, and I'm not falling that point, but I don't want anything between us. God, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Would you stand to your feet and God speak in your heart and you want God to cleanse you today. Whatever it is, it may seem small to me, but it's big to you because it's coming between you and God. And you'd say, God, I don't want to end up in the wrong place. I want these little things out now. And if you're dealing with something big, confess it to God, but also find a friend this week in church and call him and say, I need prayer. Man, I've been trying to conquer something. I can't seem to get it. I'm not going to go into details, but I need someone that will pray for me and, and share with me how God is working in their life. And let's band together as a body should. But there's a soul here this morning that's a heartbeat from hell. You can't conquer sin because you're, a, you're still living in sin. You've never been saved from sin. And I would invite you to come today and join us at the altar of prayer. And if you need to be saved, you come to me directly. You'll recognize me. I, I'll stand out. I got the tie on. I got a cool looking mustache. I'll be standing here and I will show you from the Bible how you can be saved today. Let's act on it. If God has spoken to you, you be a gentleman, you be a lady and you answer him. You talk to him. You come right now. Father, bless these dear people. And Lord, this is a good church. And I know this church wants to see a a revival in America. They'd love to see revival in, in this church, but God, it's got to start in each of our hearts. And we come to you as the psalmist and we don't want even secret faults to come between us. We ask you today to cleanse us for that soul that needs to be saved with heads bowed and eyes closed is there anyone in the audience and you'd say, Pastor Humbert, if I died right now, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know. Is there anybody like that here today? Would you slip up your hand high enough to where I could pray for you? Pray for me. I don't know that I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know. I don't want to die and go to hell. And Father, I, I didn't see anybody lift their hand. You can see our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd be pleased with our response to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.